Well, uh, good morning. Yes, it's a good start. Okay, so at least if uh, anything else, if you th- want to uh, make the way out, that would be great. So strange actually saying that. Normally I'm the one at the back waving at the front saying. Um, so the, the title that I was given was I've Been Thinking About, which if anybody knows me, that's a very dangerous thing to ask me. Um, the original title for this was I've Been Thinking About Star Wars. In fact, it was I've Been Thinking About Star Wars slash Anakin Skywalker brackets the Darth Vader years. But Liz assured me that's... Uh, that's not acceptable <laughs> in this surrounding. So um, my second title was I've been thinking about Spider-Man. Again, that got ruled out for similar, <laughs> for similar ideas, really. So um, I decided the need to come to God because I was running short of ideas other than going through my comic collection. And um, it was at an encounter uh, a while ago now, and I really felt God speaks to me strongly about one word. And so when I say I've been thinking about something, I don't think I've really had a choice um, as I think God's been sort of hitting me with this word over and over again. And it's, I've been thinking about shelter. Um, I was in the encounter and God gave me the word of shelter during worship, which was really good. And I decided to go to the back of the room and do some journaling uh, and just seek God about this word. And then I felt a call to go to Revelation, which is never a good moment when you think, oh dear, where's this going? But Revelation 7, 15 begins to talk about what it is like to be in the shelter of God again. I thought, brilliant, okay, I've got something, thank you God, to go with. Um, But obviously Liz being my sounding board of all good ideas after ruling out the previous titles, I decided to run it by Liz first. Um, And for some strange reason, I can never talk about an idea in the same room that I have the idea, which again gets very struggling in my house when I think of something in the living room and then have to call Liz into the kitchen to share the idea, but it worked very similar here. So I was trying to usher Liz out the room as quickly as possible to get her to the car, which of course at an encounter you have to stop and meet everybody on the way out. Um, So that journey took a while. So we sat down in the car and Liz was trying to tell me about all the things different people had said. So I put the CD player on as you do to, you know, put on in the background, not to drain out the voice of Liz, honestly. And um, what came on, but the Jars of Clay album I'd recently purchased, funnily enough, this album was also called Shelter. As if that wasn't enough, it was track five, and the track five was also called Shelter as well. And at this point, I started to realise, yes, God, I get the picture now. I need to start thinking about shelter. And so I thought, well, what does the word shelter mean to me? Other than the bush shelter, which initially came to my mind, I thought, well, there's got to be something else I can think about. And uh, I was taken back to a time a couple of years ago uh, when, as a youth department, we did Slum Survivor. Some of you might remember where we lived out on the car park for a weekend and we built our own shelters. Now, um, I don't think I'm the fairest person to give you the story of what happened out there because anybody that knows me as well will know I will sleep anywhere. So to be honest, in my story was it was fine. I had a great time. I went to sleep. I woke up, no skin off my nose. It was brilliant. Um, but I don't think that's the story, that's the version anyway that God wants you to hear this morning. So um, very kindly, from America, a very old friend has decided to tell her story. So if you just want to look at the screens, it's coming now. Hi everyone, my name is Joe Nye. Most of you knew me before I got married as Joe Weaver. And I worked at Zion from... September 2008 to September 2009 as one of the youth workers with Excel and Redeemed. And Steve asked me to just give a bit of what I remember my experience to be like of Slum Survivor. 
which we took part in in October 2008, I believe. Um, so slum survivor, we basically had to create our own slums. Now, I had been and visited slums before, and so I was pretty excited to see what it would be like to actually live in one for a weekend. Um, and it was quite different to what I expected, we can say. Um, <clears throat> we basically got a bunch of cardboard, and we were using the front wall of Zion, where the coffee shop is kind of the wall, and we were building four slums along there. Um, Aslam was the leader's slum, so it just had four leaders in it, and I was lucky enough to be sleeping alongside the wall, kind of adjacent to the brick wall. We had two walls with big cardboard crate kind of things and a tarpaulin going over the top for a roof. And like I said, I was the one that was lucky enough to be next to the wall of the building. Now, because, because we were using the wall of the building as our back wall, it wasn't really connected to the cardboard in any way. So um, there was like kind of a little bit of a gap. And because it was October and it was cold and very rainy, when the rain started... It's not that I was being directly rained on, but the rain was kind of trickling down the wall, and eventually I was starting to get quite wet. So what happened was, um, as the rain trickled down the wall, it wasn't landing on me, but it was landing on the cardboard that I was sleeping on, and cardboard is quite good at soaking up water, and so the cardboard was just absorbing all the rainwater and getting more and more damp, which was just making me more and more damp um, <coughs> as I was lying there in my sleeping bag. Um, and honestly, after like 30 minutes of sleeping like this, I knew that my night was done. I knew that there was no chance that I was going to sleep. There was no chance that this was going to be something that I would enjoy in any way. Um, and so the night rolled on, maybe an hour or two passed. I'm lying there, pretty much freezing cold, soaked to the bone, not directly from rain, but from lying on wet cardboard. Um, <laughs> it was pretty miserable. Um, and so I decided I needed to make a decision with the situation. Um, I had three leaders sleeping right next to me who apparently were doing just fine. So I announced to my to my leaders, um, guys, I am getting soaked right here. And it's the middle of the night, and I'm not happy about it. And Matt Morley took control of the situation <coughs> and announced that they all needed to move up to make more space for me to not be lying in a puddle of water. And so they all kind of shuffled along, and I squeezed up a little bit. And it didn't really help because for the next hour I felt like I was watching the water just seep slowly closer and closer to me as I'm lying in this lovely slum. Um, so as if that wasn't bad enough, knowing that my impending doom was wet water again, um, Steve Robinson, lying next to me, decides to snore like a dying cow um, for the rest of the night. And despite the fact that Matt Morley would jab him periodically with his elbow, 
nothing would help. And it's pretty safe to say that I didn't get much sleep that night in the slum survivor shelter. And that's basically the experience um, of slum survivor for me. Bless Joe. Uh, I love her to pieces. It's not often you get to see a dying cow come back to stage, is it really? But uh, there we are. Um, just as a disclaimer, we were all completely like wearing every bit of clothing we had, and all the leaders were separated, so there wasn't any, you know, all, all of us just lying under a duvet together. It was, you know, it was all taken into the best way it could be. But uh, if you look at what a shelter is supposed to do, it's supposed to protect you uh, from the weather, from the cold, from the rain. The outside's supposed to protect you, as is the inside, and uh, the outside definitely failed for Joe. And uh, thanks to me, so did the inside. Um, she did not have the best example of a shelter. And so I started to look at what the Bible starts to tell me about the word shelter, and I always start at the Psalms. It's always a great place to start. And um, Psalm 36, verse 7 says, How precious is your unfailing love, O God! All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. This shelter, this protection of God that he offers to us, it isn't just for a few people, it isn't just for the chosen people, it isn't just for the people that are sitting in this room. It's for all humanity, and it's open for everyone. So we're all able to receive that protection from God if we want to. Psalm 31, verses 19 and 20, it says, How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish, you lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. You hide them in the shelter of your presence, safe from those who conspire against them. You shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. The psalm says that God will lavish goodness on us if we turn to him for protection. It's something we have to choose to do. We have to choose to go to God for protection, to go to his shelter. And so I started to dig deeper and I started to think, well, why should we go to God for protection? It says that I can but why? And uh, as I started to dig, it took me to Isaiah. And I'm just going to read out three verses from Isaiah, three different verses from Isaiah that just came upon my reading. Isaiah 4, uh, 5 and 6 says, um, Then the Lord will provide shade for Mount Zion and all who assemble there. He will provide a canopy of cloud during the day and smoke and flaming fire at night, covering the glorious land. It will be a shelter from daytime heat and a hiding place from the storms and the rain. Isaiah 25 verse 4 says, But you are a tower of refuge to the poor, O Lord, a tower of refuge to the needy in distress. You are a refuge from the storm and a shelter from the heat. For the oppressive acts of ruthless people are like a storm beating against a wall. And finally, Isaiah 32 verses 1 and 2. It says, Look, a righteous king is coming, and honest princes will rule under him. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm. Like streams of water in the desert, the great shadow of a the shadow of a great rock in a parched land. They all tell me that we need to turn to God because there are things that can damage us, there are things that we need protection from. And He is the only thing that can actually protect us. Nothing else will do. In each reference it talks about um, shelter being in in terms of shade. And so again then I started to think about what we've heard in church recently and I couldn't help but think about Jonah. And when Jonah's out looking out over Nineveh, what does God provide? He provides Jonah with shade. In Jonah 4, 6, it says, And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. 
This eased his discomfort and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. The shelter provided ease of his discomfort. But then I couldn't stop thinking about shade now. I've gone from shelter to shade. It was a very strange thing. And I started to think then, why on earth is shade such an important part when it comes to shelter? And I started to think about the landscape of the Bible, the landscape of the Psalms, the landscape of Isaiah and Jonah. They all talk about desert places. They all talk about places where there isn't any shelter, where actually the one thing that they need is shade. Now, I've never been to a desert. I don't live in a desert. I live in Old Hill. It's not the most desertous of places. Um, But I would have thought, you know, shade being a very important part of surviving in a desert. But just in case I was wrong, I asked my school children, who are 10 and 11, what should I do when I was stuck in a desert and how do I survive? And they said, don't you know, Mr. Robinson? I said, no. And I said, well, why don't you wiki it? I said, I'm not going to Wikipedia for anything because it's all lies. Anyone can write anything. And this girl went, no, it's not Wikipedia because we all know that's wrong. You tell us that every week, Mr. Robinson. We can't do our homework from there. I was like, okay, then what do you mean by wiki it? And apparently there is a website called WikiHow. And should you be stuck in a variety of situations or not know where to survive, WikiHow will tell you how to survive in a you know, a variety of situations. So I turned to WikiHow, obviously with Old Hill not being the desert that I thought it was going to be. And apparently, you need shade to survive. I was right. It's all good. Okay? It does advise taking shelter in a car or uh, for the shade or walk next to a mountain ridge where shade will increase your chances of survival. Great. <laughs> Should I ever be stuck in a desert? I now know what I need to do. But ultimately, the important thing was that if you don't have shade... In a desert, you could die. And that led me to another question as I started to dig deeper into this word shelter that God gave me. It was one question after another. And I started to think, then, what does he mean by death? What am I running from? And of course, the Bible's very, very clear about this. Sin is death. Sin leads that path of destruction and death. Romans six sixteen, it says, Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So then I go back to my original question, why do I need to go to God for protection? We need God's protection from sin, ultimately from death, but you have to choose to go to God for that. It has to be a choice. There's a book I've been reading recently. I keep telling Dan Bennett to go and buy it because you know what it's like with books. But it's um, called The Obedience Option and it's a fantastic book. And essentially it's about Romans 6.16. And the writer tells of a story of when he was at university. And a friend of his came to him saying he had a problem with an area of sin and he just couldn't stop. He knew it was wrong but actually he couldn't stop. He didn't want to stop. In fact he even went as far to say to the writer of the book that if God didn't want him to do it he wouldn't make him feel this way. And uh, the writer says, well, have you, ever, have you gone to God? Have you tried to go to God and ask him to help in this sin? He was like, no, of course I haven't. What's the point? He's not going to stop me anyway. And uh, so the author went, okay, well, how about you're in your sin, and I walk in with £10,000 and say, you stop what you're doing right now, and I'll give you £10,000 on, on the spot. Would you do it? And he said, well, yeah, it's £10,000. It's like, so this thing that you say you can't stop doing, actually you could, just for £10,000. Your priorities were wrong. You didn't think God was bigger than your sin. Money is, but God wasn't. 
He chose not to go to God for that protection from his sin, but instead lived in that sin quite happily. He didn't turn to God for shelter. Essentially, he wanted to live in the short-term blessings of sin as opposed to the long-term blessings of God. And that's something that we need to actually accept sometimes. You need to choose to seek out God as your shelter and protection. And by, by actually seeking out God, you're confirming to God that his way is the best way. But to live in a shelter, you can't do it half-heartedly. You can't have one side in and one side out because the shelter then fails because half of you still gets wet. God doesn't thrust his shelter upon us. He doesn't drag us in kicking and screaming. We have to choose to go in. And when we go in, we hand ourselves over to that. We hand over ourselves. Our sin, our desires, our personality, everything, we hand over to God. Because we want God in our life. We love him. And God will protect us in that shelter. You choose where you want to live. And this morning, ask yourselves, where do you want to live? Do you want to live with where you're struggling? Or do you want to live under the protection of God in his shelter? Strange. Because it doesn't just occur with God as well. You, you can choose to live in the, the shelter of God and you step into that and you live in his ways. But there's, there's another aspect to shelter completely. And that's us here. That's the church. The church is a reflection of God. And so actually if God's our shelter, then so should the church. And a, ch- a shelter for everyone. Um, the Jars of Clay album, which I talked to you about, it's based on an old Irish saying, which I can't pronounce um, in the old Irish saying, but uh, it translates roughly as in the shelter of each other we must live. I just can't seem to shake that, to be honest. In the shelter of each other we must live. I felt God keep asking me, am I living in the shelter of the people around me? I started to then dig deeper into this Irish saying and dig deeper into the question. And... um, there are some Christian musicians in America which have also done the same and have written some essays based on what it means to live in the shelter of each other. And Sarah Groves, who's a Christian musician, she says, um, in Rwanda, they say that you need at least four good friends because if, you've, if you get injured, they're your shelter, a stretcher carried by four people. And that really hit me. Think about your friends in the church. Think about those that you're closest to. When I think about my deepest and my closest friendships, I think, how did they grow? Did they grow out of superficiality? Of course they didn't. They didn't grow out of the conversations where someone comes up to me and says, how are you today? And I go, yeah, I'm fine. They didn't grow out of my own self-sufficiency and looking after myself. They grew out of cries for help, for being honest and open, about people confronting me with difficult things and truths I might not have seen. My relationships ultimately have grown when I've been prepared to be the broken person I really am with people. And only then do they start to become my shelter. This is just a reflection of God's love when we can be like that for each other. And again, it's not something that God's going to thrust upon you and it's not something anyone else is going to thrust upon you. But if you want to live in a sheltered community where you look after one another, where each of you is a stretcher bearer and can be carried you need to choose to do that yourself. I don't want to live in a, a society anymore where I say I'm fine when people ask me how I'm doing. Unless I am fine, and then that's obviously different. But do you, 
when you think about the idea of being a stretcher bearer, do you, do you see the responsibility that goes along with that as well? If one of your friends needs help, there's four of you on each corner of the stretcher. If you're not prepared to be what they need, you could drop them. It's an honour and a privilege to be in a friendship like that. Sometimes, though, we can say, yeah, I can carry other people and I can be a stretcher bearer for them. I can be part of their shelter. But actually, you're not prepared to be carried by them. When you need carrying most, do you have the relationship with God and the people around you to trust them to help carry you? Do you trust them to be in your shelter? It is in the shelter of each other that we must live. I mean, what does this look like? How can we see living in the shelter of each other? Isaiah again, 58 verse 7. It says, Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. The first, the first part of that, the first three lines of that are all very self-explanatory things that we could do. But it's the last line that really challenged me. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Church is a family. We are all brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers to each other. We are. Jesus tells us in Mark 3, 33 to 35, it says, Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then he looked at these around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. We are family. When you see people in this church that need help, are you ready to be a shelter for them? Are we a place that steps up and helps one another even when it's not convenient for us or even when their situations are difficult? Or do we think that someone else will do it? Do you actually think that you can't offer any help? Do you just brush it aside and say, I'll deal with it later? Being a shelter as a family means showing God's love unconditionally and protecting one another. And if I look at myself, I know I haven't done that. all the time and I want to live in the shelter of each other I want to live in God's shelter are we family sometimes as a church we do really well at looking like a shelter at Slum Survivor we built a shelter outside and it looked really good and we thought it would keep us safe and protected and we worked hard on it it was hard to maintain it but in the end Joe got wet and cold and miserable and even when she was in the shelter the people in the shelter weren't doing much to help her either. Is that what we do? Do we look like a really good shelter? <laughs> but actually, are we being sheltered for one another? There was um, another Christian artist that uh, wrote an essay, but again, this guy is Irish and I can't pronounce his name. If you want to come up to me, I'll write it down for you, but I won't try and murder his name. But he was reflecting on what it is to live in the shelter of each other. And he said, I'm thinking of a woman... I knew, and she didn't consider herself to be a great person of words or learning or insight. She thought modestly of her talents, abilities, and potential. But when her mother's neighbor died, the woman cooked a house full of food. She gave the food and she offered care for the dogs and the plants. She actually brought everything of her own self. And she cooked and she listened. She wrote her a card after a month and then she wrote another card the next month. Then the month after that, there was another dish of casserole. She understood that grief was measured in years, not days. And it's in the shelter, this shelter of each other that we must live. 
That's a shelter I want to live in. It shows that shelter's not about the short game. It's about the long game. Any one of us can be really kind and loving to each other as a (laughs) one-off. It doesn't really take that much time and effort. But actually, living in the shelter of each other is a long game where love and kindness are showed continually. But again, going back to what I said earlier, is what God's been saying to me, you have to have a choice. You have to choose to live like that. You can either choose to live in the shelter of God in the long-term game of love, or you can live in the short short game of sin. But that ultimately leads us to the path of death and destruction, as the Bible says. Submitting to living in a shelter means fully handing yourself over to him. Choose to put God and your relationships above the sin in your life. You've got to choose that. As it says in Romans, you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey. I had a discussion with someone recently and said, it's all well saying that you can choose God over sin, but it's not that simple. But actually, I beg to differ, it is that simple. Sin's a choice as much as God's a choice. I mean, why did Jesus die on the cross? He died that we can have a personal and close relationship with God. The kind of relationship where God's our stretcher bearer. And he will carry us always. That's a permanent thing. And we can have a relationship with that God. And Jesus took on all the sin on the cross, the sin of the past, the present, and the future, which we can throw away, but actually in truth, that's our past sin, that's our present sin now, and that's our future sin. He took on all of that. And by doing that, something changed. It meant that sin actually has no power over us if we choose Jesus. It's amazing. If you think about it, Jesus took on all the sin. So if we choose Jesus, sin has no power over us. I'll say it again, sin actually has no power over ourselves at all. But you need to choose that. Who gives power to your sin? You do. We do. I do. When I say I can't stop doing something, I'm ultimately saying I can't stop. I'm choosing to just keep going. But I've accepted Jesus in my heart in my life he lives in me Jesus is stronger than all of that if I could live more in God's shelter in Jesus' shelter sin wouldn't have that power because sin actually has no power over us and we have to step into that sometimes we can choose to face it alone but we just can't do it the power of Christ that lives in us can compel us to act and to live but we have to choose it wholeheartedly. There are some things that we carry that we don't want people to see. There's things that we can't let go of, that we won't let go of. But the best thing is that when you live with Jesus, you can. Living in God's shelter means that he will protect us and love us. Living in the shelter of the church means that you are safe and protected and loved. Just as we go on this morning, guys, we're going to go into a period of response in a bit, but this is a time for you to just let things go. Hand it over to God. Choose to live in that shelter with everything that you have. Everything. 
hand it over to God and let it go. Live in the power of Christ. I've thrown out lots of questions this morning and um, they're all for me (laughs) and I hope some of them are for you as well. Do you choose to live in the shelter of God? Do you choose to live under his protection, away from sin and death? Or do you try to face the world alone? If that's you, just step into the shelter of God this morning. Come forward. We'll have some people ready to pray for you and say, I want to live in God's shelter. I want to step into that with everything. I want to let go of anything I'm holding on to and live wholeheartedly in God's shelter. Let go of your sin, your pride, the world, and hold on to God. So say when we do go back into worship, there'll be some guys up here that guys just come up, let us pray with you. Because you can't do it on your own. We need God. And don't be afraid. Sometimes we're afraid of the most freeing experiences in the world. But I know I want to be free. Come and choose God's shelter. What about the statement, in the shelter of each other we must live? Are you someone that's ready to be a stretcher bearer for someone? Or do you need to be carried? Do you know of a relative in this church or just in your life that's in trouble, yet you hide from them because you're worried about what they're going to say? Again, as we go into response time and worship time, grab these people. You know, grab the ones that are really closest to you that are your shelter. I'm talking, obviously, emotionally, not physically. Um, and pray with them. Open up. Take this as an opportunity, whilst the band are doing some worship, to actually deepen your relationship with them and with God, to pray together and be the shelter for each other. And finally, some of you in here might not even know Christ at all. You might not even be ready. But let me urge you, living in the shelter of God means freedom. And it's one of the most amazing things in the world. John 10.10 says, I have come that they may have life and live it to the full. And that's what living in the shelter of God is. A life free. A life free from obsession and addiction or materialistic drive. Where God will always be with us and always loving us. Always forgiving us when we get it wrong. A God who frees us from the things that we just don't want to do but end up doing anyway. A God that loves us so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross. Take on all our sin. Just so he could live with us, love us and be in relationship with us. So again, if that's you and you want to talk more about that, grab some people that you came with. Grab one of the people at the front. Grab anyone, talk to them, ask them, what is this freedom that they're talking about? So um, the ministry team are just going to come back up now and Dan Bennett's going to come back up as we, uh, as we go into some time of prayer. So if you want to stand up and just pray with me, that would be fantastic. God, thank you that you are an amazing God that loves us so much. God, thank you that you're there to protect us and free us from the things of our past and the things of our present and the things of our future. 
Thank you for being a shelter where we can turn to and be protected by you and be loved by you. Thank you, for God, for the people in our lives that you've put there that we can turn to, that we can trust, that we can live with, that we can love with. God, this morning, just help us to come to your shelter and truly be ourselves with you and to live in that shelter. You are an amazing God. Thank you.